Dear God, thank you so much for your word today. And uh, man, we are just excited to be in a space. We have, we have so many distractions and it, it gets so busy. And there's so many people just trying to feed us their thoughts and pull us in one way or another. And um, we just want to hear from you, not me. We want to hear from you this morning. We trust that you have something for us, whether we're beaten down and exhausted or tired and angry or frustrated with life. We believe that here you have something for us through your word, and we ask that you just speak to us. Help us to be open. Help us to let down some of the barriers, to let go of some of the fears that we cling to, and to just trust you with whatever you have for us this morning. And by the way, God, it is such an awesome privilege to celebrate these baptisms today. What an exciting, joyous day it is, and uh, just personally, thank you for letting me be a small part of that. We just thank you for all you're going to do, and trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Keep it simple, stupid. I don't know if that's ever been a title of a sermon anywhere, but it is today, so buckle up. You know, one of the things I want to talk about this morning is a point of frustration in my life. You know how we have frustration triggers or things that, it, that happen to you that constantly trigger the, some, some certain feelings? One of the things that triggers frustration for me is when things get overcomplicated. Have you experienced this in your life, maybe a certain aspect of your life? I want to tell you a really serious circumstance where I lived this, and I'm, I'm sick of my life feeling frustrated because things that should be simple get overcomplicated. And um, maybe you're like me, maybe you're not, and you're like, man, what's wrong with you this morning? But uh, I remember going to visit, um, my cousins have a cabin up in Maine, and my brothers and I are really tight with my cousins, and we go up there and, and do some fly fishing and different stuff on the western side of Maine. And by the way, Maine is just a wonderful place that smells like pine needles and Christmas all the time. And uh, it's way better smelling than Schuylkill County. You just, I'll just say this, that you probably don't know how bad it smells around here until you've gone to Maine and then come back. <laughs> but we love it, and this is where our home is, and um, we, love, we love this. But we, I remember going up to Maine, and we had spent all day like getting settled in, and there was a big game coming on TV, and... Um, we had been working with all our gear and getting ready for the whole trip and, and kind of prepping. It was a busy, chaotic day. I had spent 12 hours in a car um, with a bunch of other smelly dudes. And, like, you know, you know how those trips roll, right? Like, it's a little bit chaotic. All I wanted to do was just get done, like, deal with the rest of it tomorrow, just throw on the game and, like, chill out for a little bit and just have some peace and quiet. And I remember jumping down on the couch as my brothers and cousins were out, you know, doing some other stuff and getting their gear ready and exploring a little bit. And uh, I sat down and my cousin, I don't know what makes him think this is a good idea. Some of you live with people like this and it is okay to scold them this morning if you live with someone like this. But as I sat down on his couch and looked at the beautiful table he had set before the monstrous TV, I saw six remotes. Six remotes. I, I remember thinking, okay, 
Like, is there an instruction manual, a book or something? None of them have the TV name on. Like, I'm not an idiot. I know if the TV says Sony, you should look for the remote that says Sony. None of them had Sony on it. I remember just picking one up and clicking it, and a ceiling fan turned on. <laughs> Click another one, and lights go on downstairs on the first level. Click another one, and some speaker system turns on and says, welcome to Dolby Sound Sound. I'm like, that's great, but I can't see anything or hear anything important. Like just so overcomplicated, six remotes, it took a half an hour to turn the TV on, and by the time I was, I was ready to throw one of those at my cousin when he came in the door, I just was. Like, I didn't care, I'll pay for the hospital bill. <laughs> You know, have you felt frustrated when things that should be simple just aren't? Have you ever felt that frustration in life? Well, maybe like a relationship that should be simpler? Why is it so much work? Why is it so hard? Maybe, maybe your job, like, sh it should be simple, right? Like, I signed up just to do this job and, like, do it well, and I'm passionate about it, but there's all these other things that you end up having to deal with and all these other conversations you have to have and all this other drama that spills into it and it gets what, what was simple, what we took joy in being simple becomes overcomplicated and the result is frustration. I, I hate that trigger for frustration in my life when things that are, should be simple get overcomplicated and it spills into our journey of faith too. Some of you have gotten some pretty complicated messages about Jesus, about following him, about heaven. Maybe some of your church experiences have complicated ideas like baptism or what it, what it looks like to be in a relationship with Jesus. And this morning, like, I just want to keep it simple. My dad had shared many wise things with me. He passed away two years ago, and he was a pastor, I mean, my entire life. An incredible man. He shared so much wisdom and life with us. I have so many of his like, notes in my Bible and stuck around the place, and when I need encouragement or help or wisdom, I pull those out and I read them. Maybe you have people in your life like that, but one of them that sticks out to me the most is that saying he used to say all the time, keep it simple, stupid. Now, he wasn't saying I was stupid, and most of the time he was saying that to himself, but like that was one of his favorite phrases. Whether you're talking about life, whether you're talking about the Bible, whether you're talking about sports, it was always the same. Like, hey, man, just keep it simple, stupid, keep it simple. I'm so grateful for that memory. I'm so glad that I still hear that in his own voice in my head. I hope it never leaves, and it's so important to just like slow down a minute Simplify things. In my Bibles, I write a bunch of stuff and I take notes and I just littered with different kinds of things and I have notes to my kids and my wife in here and like I hope someday when I'm gone they'll pop these open and you probably don't pay this much attention on a Sunday morning but I always use Bibles like this. I have five of them. Some of our different colors. Have you, you didn't notice Give me a break. 9.30 notices stuff like that. 11's like, man, just be glad we're here. <laughs> Stop harassing us about the color of your Bible. We're listening. <laughs> but in the beginning of the, each Bible, I have this, um, remi these reminders written to myself just about um, when, I, when I step up onto the stage, right? Like, 
some important things that should be a part of every message. And one is to be authentic and transparent. But another one is to keep it simple and to be clear. I'm not always good at that. And maybe I've complicated some ideas or some thoughts that shouldn't be complicated at some point. But the goal is like to simplify it. This is supposed to be simple. Not complicated, not frustrating, not difficult to figure out. This journey with God is not something where you should, where we need like to dissect some crazy road map and figure out some complicated mystery. This isn't like national treasure. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 30, God's talking to his people. He says, this isn't something that I have set up in the heavens that you need to figure out how to come and get it and bring it back down to you. It's not something across the ocean you have to sail and figure out. I'm right here. The message I have is close to your heart, it says in Deuteronomy. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. And this morning, I want to keep it simple as we talk about what following Jesus looks like what next step he might have for us. And I want to read the story of a guy named Saul, who you might know as Paul. He penned most of the New Testament under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God speaking through him. God used him to share some incredible things. He was an apostle and a a minister of the faith and traveled and took the gospel to the Gentiles and did incredible things. We're here because of the ministry of Paul and um, who used formerly known as Saul, and now I got Prince stuck in my head. So that's a good thing. Let me just read a couple verses from this chapter and then talk about it a little bit. It says, meanwhile, in chapter nine and verse one of the book of Acts, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Not a good dude, that's the interpretation here, right? Like, he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if you found any there who belonged to the way, that's what they called the people who followed Jesus. It wasn't called Christianity back then. It was just called the way. Whether men or women, because he was quite the tool bag, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, this journey of persecution, this journey where he's trying to take men and women who are just simply trying to live out their faith in Jesus, following him into their prisons, and and in some cases, unto death, right? As he's nearing Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus who you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go to the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. Talk about being blindsided. No? No? You know? Okay. I'll work a little harder. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus... 
there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision and said, Ananias. I don't know why I find that so great. Like, that's just so funny to me that, like, the Lord calls to him in a vision and just drops his name and, like, that's, like, Ananias. Like, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Like, I love that. That's so nicely worded by Ananias. Like, I wonder what the internal dialogue was. Was it like, are you crazy? Like, um, yeah, heard the name. Can I send an assistant? Like, this dude wants to kill us. And you're telling me I need to go hang out with him because he's praying? Good for him. Like, can he pray by himself silently in his closet? Didn't I hear Jesus say that at one point? Like, can we, is there a way around this? Are you crazy, God? Like, I don't, you know, imagine him like having breakfast, doing his daily devotions, you know, like reading maybe a little bit or contemplating Jesus and praying. And all of a sudden, God hits him with, guess what your next step is? You're going to visit a guy who less than 24 hours ago wanted to murder you. <laughs> but the Lord said, go. I love that. It's like, just go. This man is cho my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he would suffer for my namesake. Even at this point, at the end, I'd be like, okay, God, I love the last part of that verse. The suffering part for him sounds phenomenal. Are, 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 is he on this plan? Like, did you mention to him that I'm coming over and that he's going to do all this stuff? And like, did, are we hearing the same story? But what I love about Ananias is it continues in this page and it just said, then Ananias went to his house. That's it. The step was there. And while he had reservations... And it was scary and difficult. While there was probably a lot of fear involved, while it was uncomfortable, while it was an interruption to his schedule, his day plan, what he was going to do, even though it may, may have put him at risk, when he saw the next step and it was clear to him in his journey following Jesus, he just took it. It's an incredible testimony about this guy named Ananias and something that we can all Learn from, it says, Ananias went to the house and placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. It may look different for you, for all of us, like different starting points, different stories, different journeys. You have different struggles, different challenges, different histories, different walks of life, different relationships, different churches you grew up in, different churches you never went to, different, all kinds of different things. But one thing that is the same, should be the same, has to be the same, 
is that your faith journey starts with not going to church, not understanding some theological point. It's not about whether you've been baptized or not baptized or you checked some boxes that somebody put down and said this is the way to follow Jesus. It starts with an encounter with the real Jesus. Not some other Jesus. Not some Jesus that's been tweaked by a church. Not some Jesus that's been tweaked by us just to make us feel good or better about our life or our choices. You see, no matter how complicated life gets, you can, you can keep this part simple. Your journey of faith starts and revolves around an encounter with the real Jesus. Encounters look different. Saul got blindsided on a road to Damascus, right? You didn't. <laughs> Zacchaeus, his encounter with Jesus happened as he was, Zacchaeus was another loser, I'm sorry. Um, he just wasn't a good guy until Jesus got a hold of him. And uh, you can read about it. You, you'll probably phrase it differently, but I'm still right. Like, he climbed a tree. He was in a tree, this wee little man is what we call him in the children's songs, was in a tree and Jesus stopped at the bottom of the tree and that's where Zacchaeus had an encounter with Jesus. It sounded different. That one was like, yo, I'm coming over to your house today, Zacchaeus. Matthew was collecting taxes at work. That was his job when Jesus approached him and he had his encounter with Jesus. The other disciples were walking on the beach after fishing when Jesus showed up. And you know what the message always was? It was simple. Come to me and follow me. We complicate that in a million different ways. But if you could peel back all the other stuff and evaluate your own spiritual journey, that is at the center, has to be at the center of it. Despite all the crazy things that we get from outside the church and inside the church, despite all the crazy messages we get from culture about who we are and what we should believe, despite all of the sometimes crazy messages we get within church walls about what we have to do to make God happy with us or what we have to do to, to make us right and all that other stuff, despite all of that, it all comes down to this, an encounter with Jesus where we come to him and decide that we are going to follow him. It's about Jesus. And if you get that right, and if you make him center of this journey of faith that you're on, if you make him center of your life, can we uncomplicate it? All of the other things, all the other worries, all the stuff you don't know, all the stuff you're not sure if you should do or shouldn't do, all that other stuff will set itself right in due time if you get Jesus right and if you keep him center. Do you know him? Have you had an encounter with him? In Revelations 3.20, it says this. It says Jesus is talking to the church of Laodicea. And while it's a, it's a call, this verse is a call to a group of people, it represents Jesus' heart to all of us, which is why... He makes it so personal when he says this. He says, here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone 
this is why it applies to us. He didn't say, if the church of Laodicea, he says, if anyone, if anyone, if any knucklehead, if any dirtbag, if any crazy person, if any sinner, if any addict, if anyone, if anyone, if any self-righteous person, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and them with me. Now, I know the eating thing maybe sound a little weird for you at the end, right? But eating in this culture, in this time, it was a sign of acceptance and friendship. You had me over to eat after church. It was like, man, we're friends. I accept you, who you are. Like, we're friends. We're people. It was such a big deal in their culture. Now we eat at the drive-thru in our cars. We got, you know, then we get mad because a French fry fell between the seat and it's one less French fry. I can, I can eat, and also it's going to be there till next year when I finally vacuum out under there. You know what I mean? Like, that's how we, we like eat on the run nowadays because six kids got to go in six different places. Somebody throws a chicken patty sandwich on, at you while you're out the door, you know, and that, or you eat in a, some of you are students, you eat in a school where the volume level in that place would cause a rhino indigestion, <laughs> right? Like, and, uh. So, so the eating thing is probably a little lost on us, but it's significant to Jesus. You knock, I'm knocking at your heart's door. I'm right here. I'm not far from you. I'm not hiding from you. I'm not distance. This is not some maze you have to figure out your way through. It's not some puzzle that somebody stole a piece from. I'm not trying to confuse you. I'm right here knocking on your heart's door. And if you would just let me in, we would enjoy this incredible friendship and a right relationship between you and God. Isn't that beautiful? We overcomplicate it, but that's the bottom line. He's knocking. This is such an incredible turn for Saul and in his journey with faith. Um, Jesus, in so many different ways, so many different times, shares the same message. Come to me. Believe in me. Follow me. That's it. Uncomplicated. No frustration needed. Just a simple willingness to say, I'm done trying to be the God of my own life. The one who came to save me, that's who I'm going to give my life to. He has a plan for your life. He didn't die for you so that you could be miserable and boring. He has a plan for your life. And in Jeremiah 29, a passage that was written to the nation of Israel, but here's why you can apply it. People will sometimes tell me, that was not for us, that one's for the, for the nation of Israel. And yeah, it's true, it was written for the nation of Israel, but all scripture is useful for us, it says in Timothy, and able to encourage us and correct us and help us on our journey. It's straight up, 2 Timothy 3.16, I think. Um, I might have gotten that wrong because it's just coming off the top of my head. But it's there. And also, while that was spoken specifically, Jeremiah 29, 11 was spoken specifically to the nation of Israel, it's reflective of God's heart to all his people. It says this in Jeremiah 29, 11, 
It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. He has plans to prosper you. He wants to give you hope. He wants to fill your future with beauty and life and joy. So what's next? You're following him. I'm really simple. It's just about taking the one next step he puts in front of you next. For Ananias, that one next step was terrifying. I hope that's not my next step this afternoon. Go visit some dude who wants to kill you. I, don't, I want to pass on that. I don't even want to visit the person who just wants to call me names, right? Like, I don't, I don't want to got time for that. I hope that's not my next step. Ananias' next step, though, was, was the right next step for him in his faith journey. And could you imagine how much his faith must have grown as he sat in front of the one who had been killing Christians and he put his hand on him and he could see? Could you imagine how incredible that was when he, he had that faith experience? Like Ananias' next step, the kids are coming in. They're, we're going to have them experience this incredible thing called baptism with us. I know, like, it's conf- you're a little confused right now. It's okay, like, right here. Like, I'm going to wrap this right now. The next step for Ananias was just doing, having a very uncomfortable conversation. Maybe the next step for you is having an uncomfortable conversation. Maybe the next step for you is letting go of your pride. Maybe the next step for you is trusting him as you step into some sort of uncertainty. The next step for Saul was for him to believe and then get baptized. Now let's talk about baptism for a second. For the early church, they understood this really well. After believing, the next step that they took was getting baptized. Now there's two kind of like ways we screw this up, I think, in church these days. And maybe you're in one of them, and if, if you're holding on to one of these, like, I'm just telling you, like, I don't, neither of these things are scriptural, okay? So, like, the first way we mess up baptism is this. We think that you have to get baptized to get to heaven and to be saved. Like, there's people that teach that, say that. It's not scriptural. Here's what baptism is. Baptism is an outward expression of what God is doing inside you. Baptism doesn't save you. There's no work that you can do that saves you. Scripture's clear. We are saved by grace through faith alone so that no one can boast and brag about how they did it better. It's just about faith. Well, I didn't get baptized in a feeding trough. I got baptized in a real baptism. It doesn't matter, like, right? Like, it doesn't save you. The first mistake people make in baptism is they think that it saves you. It doesn't. This is just water. It's an outward expression that God orders us to do as a step in following him. It's a public demonstration. And when you go into the water, it publicly signifies the death to self that you experience when you accept Christ as your savior and say, I'm not God of my life. I accept that he died on the cross, took my sins there with him, took my sufferings there with him, and killed them on that cross. He took it for me. He paid the price for me. 
When you're in the water, it represents the newness that God makes us as he regenerates our heart, as he justifies us before God, that he wipes all of our sins away and he sets, one, sets them as far from us as the east is from the west. He makes us new and gives us a clean heart and justifies us before God so that when God sees us because of Jesus and his blood, he sees us as righteous and made right with him and forgiven and pure. It's beautiful. And as we come up out of the water, it just demonstrates and signifies the resurrection that we have because Christ has resurrected from the dead for us. It's a beautiful picture. The second mistake people make when coming to baptism is thinking that it doesn't matter at all. But everything that Jesus has told us to do matters. I think of my kids when they don't want to eat green beans, right? Like, and I'm like, yo, eat the green beans. And they're like, nah. I don't, I don't want to eat the green beans. I don't like the green beans. Green beans are uncomfortable for my mouth. It's a texture thing, Dad. You wouldn't understand. Anybody ever hear it's a texture thing? Dad, you don't understand. I don't want to eat the banana. It's the texture. <laughs> well, I'll mush it up, and then you can eat. Is that better? Like, give me a break with the texture stuff. Right, like, but I don't want to be like that with God, where I'm like, oh, God, but yeah, great, baptism. You told us to go back. You started your ministry by getting baptized, and when you left and ascended into heaven, you said, go and baptize others. But I don't like water. I don't know, you know, it looks like a feeding trough. Hey, I don't need it to be saved, right? Well, right, but that's silly logic. If God tells us to do something and it's clear, what should we do? Follow him. The one next step he puts in front of us. Just take that step. And trust him if you're uncomfortable with water. If you don't like to do stuff in front of people. Trust him if it's having an uncomfortable conversation with somebody. Trust him if it's stepping into uncertainty. Trust him no matter what next step it is. And you will find that your faith will explode as he proves faithful. Even if you were unsure if he would. And that's what we're doing today. Man, a bunch of people this morning, a bunch of people right now are saying, this is the next step God's laid on my heart in following him. And I want to be obedient in taking the next step he's put right in front of me. It's a blessing. It's a big deal. God will blow their faith up as they take an uncomfortable step to follow him this morning.